it'll just get you into trouble, right? I think um, I, I've shared before, and, and maybe you, you know you've heard this. Like you know, my, my brother and I couldn't sit next to each other at, at mass, right? We often had to be separated. Um, and there's like these things that happen, like in any other context, not really that funny. But if something happens at church, like funniest thing imaginable, right? Um, you know, there's, there's like a, the, the different lectors that you get, so interesting, the spectrum, right? The, the guy who like cares way too much about being a lector, like, the word of the Lord. And then, and then you get like the, the teenager who just didn't want to do this. It's like somebody said, well, like, and then the Lord God said to Israel and the people, let my people go in the word of the Lord. Yeah. Um, my friend Kenneth, this is true in the book of Tobit, it recounts uh, bird droppings coming down upon this man sleeping on a fence, under a fence, and it uh, blinding him, causing cataracts in the eyes. And my, my friend Kenneth, he's like all business. He's like, he's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this. And he, he, he like gets up to, to the reading, like all, all held together. Like, I Tobit sat by the fence. Just burst, burst out laughing, just like in the middle of the liturgy, right? Um, and you think and you reflect like why? Um, why was that so? Um, like, why, why were things so funny? And I think it's because, like, for me and my brother, we just kind of intuitively knew that church wasn't a place where you could be human. Right? For, like, for an hour a week, you, uh, we, we have this, like, charade. We play this, like, charade, pretending that we're not really humans. Not really human. And then, and then uh, when my humanity surfaces, when it, like, pops out, it's funny. Because it's not supposed to be there, right? You know, before all these regulations, I always wore a mask to church. I never thought, never thought for one moment that this, that what was going on at the altar, that what was contained in the teachings of the church had anything to say about my humanity, that my, my desires, who I was as, as a person, uh, I love this um, I love this story of, of the woman at the well, right? Um, you know what she says after? Like Jesus has this encounter with this woman at the well, and she, she describes that afterward. She says, come meet a man who told me everything I have ever done. Isn't that really interesting? Like I doubt like what happened in this exchange was like Jesus listing out, well, when you were four, you broke your tooth on the hardwood floor or something like that. Um, but something about this encounter with Jesus made sense for this woman of why she did all the things she did in her life. And something about this, this encounter with Jesus, he was able to educate her that this is, this is what she'd been looking for all along. And he was able to make sense for her of her own life and provide the answer for what she was looking for. See, a lot of times, like, Jesus, and we talk about him, and, and of course, like, he's God, and, and he reveals God to us. Yeah, you betcha, 100%. But Jesus came more than just to reveal God to us. He came to reveal us to us. He came to show us what it actually means to be human when we get all confused and messed up and just don't even know. Just like, I don't even know who I am. And this world, 
in this confused, in this, in this environment, who am I? Like, what, what does it mean? Like, I think like wearing masks, uh, fig leaves, right? Hiding ourselves under fig leaves. Like, um, for so long in my own, my own journey, like I was big into like accomplishments, right? But like accomplished, like I just love that word accomplishments. Like that, that just communicated like all the good fuzzy things to me. And you know, I went to Georgia Tech and um, I guess you could say like that, that track of, you know, accomplishments, um, those were like the way that I could like feel good about myself, you know? And I, and I, I thought I was doing like everything right. You know, I, 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 I graduate from this like impossibly hard school and I get this great job right out of college and making tons of money, uh, more money than I know what to do with. And I have like all this autonomy, you know? I moved to um, Dallas away from my crazy family and um, you know, get my own apartment. And like, this is like, this is like the life. This is like the definition of like what our culture um, says like a young adult should be, like a successful person. And having arrived at all this, having, having reached like the, 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 the top, I found myself utterly unhappy and utterly empty and terrified. Right, because it would be, it would be like that. It would be better if I was this like um, very worldly guy that didn't like care about people and like didn't go to church. It would be better. It would be better because then like somebody could point to me and could say like, "Oh, it's because you don't go to church that you feel this pit of emptiness." And then I could just like accept Jesus and start going to church, and things would be better. But guess what? I'm going to church during this time. And yet I'm still feeling this emptiness. I'm feeling the weight of this world. And as I get into like the corporate America, and some of you feel this right now, some of you feel this, of just kind of this, this attitude of, you might call like pragmatism, like reducing, uh, reducing people to Excel spreadsheets, you know, and, and, and what everything being down to growth and what, what can you do for me? And I'm starting to like, I'm starting to feel that. I'm starting to feel used myself. I'm starting to feel used in this corporate cog wheel system. And I'm starting to notice, observe myself using others in so many different ways. Part of that in relationships, right? And it's, it, it, brings this, it brings this great questioning. And it, alongside all that, um, you know, I would be telling myself all the time, like, um, like God, is there more than this, you know? God, please let there be more than this. Um, in this time, I'm, I'm, I'm finding out things about my own family, and I'm watching so many marriages. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm watching so many marriages, and I'm watching them fall apart. Or if they don't fall apart, I'm starting to see them with real eyes. I'm starting to be honest. And see, like, these people in my family, this marriage that, like, this is supposed to be my model. These people don't actually love each other. And so if that is marriage, why do I want that? Why am I on this conveyor belt anyway if I'm leading, like, go following the path of all these people that are so unhappy and all these marriages that are not, not real? I don't want that. So, so it's like, what, what do I want? Who am I? And what is the point? 
I have heard the ethics. I've heard the rules at church, but I'm starting to ask why now in light of all these things. Someone give me a good reason why. <laughs> and then this great angst, as you can tell, uh, as you've been in the great time of searching, I collide into the writings of John Paul II. And I, I remember sitting in a chapel and reading um, a book, one of the books that's out there called Fill These Hearts. Um, and I'm in this chapel, I just start weeping. I just start weeping. Because it began to answer all of these questions. It, prevented, it provided me with a, with a vision of what it means to be human. A vision of myself, a vision of other people, a vision of woman, a vision of man that I didn't have before. And it was so beautiful, it made me weep. It changed my whole life so much to the point where uh, me who, who, you know, most of my life thought, um, you know, celibacy was like instant unhappiness, like forever. It's just like, why would you ever want to be a celibate priest? Um, you just be miserable your whole life. It, it made me like actually pursue celibacy and, and priesthood for four years, right? Um, why, why would why would that happen? Especially especially if this teaching is all about like a, a, a nice like cheerleading for for marriage. It's just like yay, get married. If you came here to hear that, I, I mean, you shouldn't be that excited about that because that's not what this is. Marriage is a huge part of this, but that's not the central message for anyone here tonight. Is just be married and you'll be happy. No, so much more, so much more. So many questions. We're gonna unpack these, um, but stay with me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna awaken. I think it's so important to get us asking the right questions to get get your desire in the right frame. Because a lot of times in in the church, like especially if you've grown up in the church like me, um, like they give us the answers, like we have all the right answers, but we haven't started asking the right questions. So we don't know, we don't know how to recognize it when it's there, like when it's being fed to us. Um, we miss it because we're not yet asking the right questions. We didn't ask the right questions. Why? Uh, I love this. I, I, love, I love hearing um, and looking into the heart of the culture. Um, this podcast called Dying for Sex. Um, I don't recommend like you, you, know, you dive into that, but I'm just going to talk about it. Um, it features Molly's story, who is unfortunately was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer. Like what a devastating blow for her and her husband. Um, Molly's reaction to this was not typically what you, you might think when somebody is diagnosed. Molly's response to this was to divorce her husband and to embark upon a series of, of several sexual escapades, right? And in this, um, we got we got we got to be honest about what like what like what her motivation is for this right um, for her it was not just like let me get as like as much like pleasure as possible before like my my time's up that's not what this was like for Molly um, this was a deeply sp kind of like spiritual experience for her to come to understand who she is this was about finding meaning to her life right. And she found, she, she recognized that something about um, her sexuality, something about sexual expression was tied to meaning, 
was tied to life itself. Interesting, she said it directly, that sex is tied to life, right? Now, um, it would be so easy in like a churchy circle to just like brush Molly's actions as, as just like wrong, right? And let's be, let's be clear, we have to be clear too, you know, there, there is like, the, the way she has gone about this, that, that is not right, right? Um, there, there, is, there is some wrong things about the way that she has gone about this, for sure, hands down. Um, but let's try to like, let's try to like see, pull from that, like what, what we can take, like the intention there. There, she has recognized this connection between, between the body, between sexuality and meaning. And she, she, in some level, is in more is more in touch with that uh, than a lot of us can be sometimes. Than a lot of us can be sometimes. You know, like growing up, um, I was just this was just like communicated to me. I don't know about you, but just like I I was taught maybe not like directly verbally, but just like it was intuited to me. Um, it was like the body's bad, sex is bad, and here are all these rules that like flow from that. So like, there you go, right? Um, John Paul II, when he, um, when he was Pope, and think of how busy you are when you're Pope and all the, all the different world problems and crises. Um, he was in the Sistine Chapel, and he, there's, in the Sistine Chapel, there's so many like sculptures, uh, beautiful images and sculptures, and a lot of them are of the naked human body. And over the years, many pious and well-meaning people um, put up veils to cover the nakedness of the nudes in the Sistine Chapel. John Paul II, when he was Pope, deliberately made an effort to, un to remove the veils covering the bodies of the nudes in the Sistine Chapel, to un unveil, unmask, right? This is the Pope. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? Is he's trying to tell me, he's trying to tell you, he's trying to tell me that the body is not bad. The body is very good. It's actually this reverence for the body, for sexuality, that leads us to say everything we're gonna say about it. My friend Greg, when he was married, on his wedding day, you know, like there's, um, you know, the big, the big procession, and you've been to several weddings at this point, I imagine, but, you know, so he's, he's standing there in the front of the church, like, ready, and, and what he wanted was uh, the first thing he saw at his wedding day to be his his bride. And so he, he, closed, he closed his eyes, and he told his best man to, like, tap on the shoulder when Lizzie, his, his, his bride, was there. And so it was a big procession, and, like, first you got, like, you know, like, little kids coming in you know flower girl and stuff and he's just like yeah okay this is this is cute and like let's like he's, he's excited he's nervous about it and then like it's like you know like grandma is coming down the whole family is just like taking her sweet time um and he's, he's just like he's just like okay let's go let's go let's go um so finally like music changes a little bit best man taps him on the shoulder like it's time like this is the moment and Greg, the doors open up, Greg opens his eyes, and he sees his bride decked in white. And his reaction, as he looked at, looks at her, I'm not making this up. This is what happened. 
and you know, like talking to Greg after, like what what was going on in your mind back there, right? Did you like feel faint or something? And, um, he's like, that's like the reaction that comes over me when I come across that which is holy. When I come across that which is holy. Like Greg's heart was moved with reverence at, at Lizzie's body. It wasn't in any way, um, for Greg, it was never this annihilation of desire. It was never this uh, suppression of desire. It was actually this purification, no doubt, a purification that led him to a lifelong commitment and self-gift, but, but a cranking of desire all the way up, elevation of desire, not annihilation, not repression. Um, so yeah, I, you ever like watched a movie and started watching it like halfway through? Um, you sometimes like in the gym, like that'll, that'll happen and, and you're just like, you're just like trying to make it work. Like, okay, yeah, I, I, I kind of, I get what's going on. I totally get it. There's something about these like stones are really powerful and this guy wants to like kill half the world and say, yeah, I, I'm good. I'm good. Like I get it. I'm not sure like all, all the details, but, um, but then like you actually watch it from the beginning and you're like, oh, okay. That makes so much more sense now. I, I had, I had one, one way of how this was going to go, but now I get the whole story. So like all of your life up till this point, like including, you know, when you were little till now, um, I want you to think of your life as this has all been act two. Okay. This has all been act two of a three act drama. Right? And everything you have consciously perceived has been part of act two. You started watching the movie halfway through. And like we can, we can have some idea of what's going on in the story, but we really have no idea what's going on in our lives or anyone's life until we see act one. Because there's a whole history that's playing into this with, with real consequences that's happening now that we're experiencing. And then like knowing where what happened in act one influences how we live in act two and where we end up in act three. What's act one? What's act one? Act one is the original innocence. Act one is the garden. Act one is man and woman before sin entered the picture. And John Paul II says that, yeah, like, yeah, we have like, and we'll talk about this more next, next week, like we have like sin on account of our first parents, but he says you, the inheritance that you have received runs deeper than sin. It runs deeper than sin. The inheritance of being made for love of sharing in a communion of love with God and with man and woman together. This is where you come from. This is where you were made for. This is act one. And oh, how desperately we need to understand this. This is what Jesus says when he, when he speaks. He gets all these complicated questions about marriage and, and divorce. And he's, he's, he's just like, act one. He's like, in the beginning. He's like, go back to the beginning. It'll make sense. I... As it's mentioned, I, I'm, I'm a student of art. I love, I, I'm an artist, but I'm more, I'm more just like a lover of art. Um, 
Because, because art that's authentically done, and I don't mean like churchy art. I mean, church art is, sacred art is, is beautiful too, but, but like art that's well done. If it is well done, it reveals our humanity. That's what art does. Like art makes visible the invisible mystery of our humanity. And anytime our humanity is made visible, it points us to act one. Anytime our humanity is visible, it has the, it has the capacity to, to reveal something, to touch upon our history and the mystery of where we came from. It, it explains act two as well and, and also where we're going ultimately. It could do all those things. But John Paul II says, like, when we get in touch uh, with, this, with this mystery, like, we can experience uh, an echo in our hearts. He says that from, like, from the beginning, all of you, by nature of being children of Adam and Eve, right, that you have contained in you a memory of the original innocence. He calls this an echo. And I have found when you experience certain things in, in real relationships or in beauty in the natural world or in art, it can kind of put its finger on there. You ever heard a song on the radio and it just makes you cry and you have no idea why? Why is that? You ever seen a scene in the movie and something about the scene in the movie like transforms your whole outfit, like makes you like change your job or something, you know? Or it just, be, it just pierces you so deeply. Pay attention to those. Pay attention to your favorite movies. Watch them often. One of my favorite movies, not really movie, musicals uh, is Dear Evan Hansen. I love it. I think every high school student especially should see it. Um, but in this, he's talking about like this, this high school kid who struggles with like, you know, kind of his own like self-worth and identity. Um, he he makes some makes some mistakes, some choices, um, and gets into like tells like a small lie that turns into a bigger lie, and and then this big like complicated thing, and then he's like finally caught. You know, like the the act, the act that he's putting on. And, and it's like success, it's working, it's working. Like people didn't love me before, I started putting on the mask, I started putting on the act, and now people love me, and now I've been caught. I've been caught to be, to be a fake, to be a fraud. And he's just wrestling with that. Just listen to what is the words that are sung in the secular, this completely secular song. Thank you. 
Chilling. What if everyone saw? What if everyone knew? But they like what they saw. I think you you see in that um, made made visible, like this this our longing to be seen, our longing to be known, our longing to enter a relationship where it's not this like mutual. Use, like you, you did this for me, I'll do this for you. A relationship that's like, you see me and I give you everything. You, see, you really see me, like all my, all my mediocreness, like all the fake that I am. And, and like, I'm chosen still. How, how bizarre is that? What a scandal that is to actually be loved for who I really am, the mediocre person that I am, away from all these accomplishments and fig leaves, right? At the end of the first Harry Potter book, Hagrid gives Harry a, a book of, um, you know, pictures of his parents, which he never knew, which died when, when he was a small child. And of course, in Hogwarts, you see, like, the pictures move. And it says in the, it says in the text that, um, that Harry, like, as he receives the book, like he can't speak. He can't speak for a long moment. And he just sits there with Hagrid looking at the books like, like, like it was such a great gift. Like something is stirred up in his heart, like an echo in his heart as he sees, as he sees his parents, as he sees, as he sees like his dad smiling. You know, and he's hearing all these things that he, like your father played Quidditch. Like you like Quidditch, your father played Quidditch. And like he sees his mom's, he sees his mom's eyes like, you have your mother's eyes. 
I know, I know where you come from. I know where it's been with the Dursleys, and, and but you have your mother's eyes. And he's seeing like his parents like laughing and dancing together. Like this is where you came from. This is where you came from. You didn't come from where you think you were. I know you got some scars. I know you have some scars. I can explain that too. But this is where you came from. This is who you are. You want to know who you are? You want to know where you came from? Then let's go. Let's make the dive into Act 1 with the Lord. Listen to what he has for us. You know, of course, in, in the account of Genesis in the beginning, um, Adam is alone for a while, right? It's just in, at least in the second account, creation account, um, Adam is alone. And like, why? Um, like, why weren't the animals enough? I mean, think about it, like, like in a challenging way, like, why, why weren't the animals enough for Adam there? You know, why does it say, like, um, even when Adam is around all these animals, why does it mention that he's alone? Right? Um, I, 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 in high school, I would go to, like, um, like I had, I had this group of friends, and I would go to parties with them a lot. Um, and these are people, like, I saw all the time. And, and yeah, really, really great people. Um, but I just noticed, like, some patterns. At the end of, like, the night, after being at somebody's house and with, with a lot of fun people and entertaining things, like, I would go out to my car, I'd be late, it would be dark, I would, you know, turn, turn the keys on, and the sinking feeling would come over me. Like, I wonder if any of those, my friends, like, I wonder if anyone actually knows the real me. Do they actually know the real me? You know? Um, the same, th that feeling? That Adam, uh, that, that that I felt is the same kind of like expression. Um, that's kind of the answer to that question with Adam. John Paul II calls this original solitude. This being alone in the garden with all these other bodies, <laughs> but like missing something. Have you ever just wanted to be seen? Maybe more than ever <laughs> in this time frame, right? Of um, of just like you being like a face on a on like a Zoom call or something like that, and there's not even like pop like eye, real eye contact, just because just because it can't work out with the camera and things like that. Um, do you ever feel that just long and just like I just I just want to exist before someone deeply, or maybe like in your work there's only like shallow conversations, right? There's only surface, you know, we're, we're like buckhead professionals, right? Um, and you're, you're, you're hungry for more. Maybe that's it. I love, I love the movie Jumanji, both of them, but the new one, especially, um, one of my favorite characters in the new one is, it's, it's so good if you have not seen it. Um, I've not seen like the, I guess there's even newer one now, the sequel to the new one. Um, one of my favorite characters is Bethany, who's like a 16 year old, really like popular girl. And somehow, through a series of events, she gets transported into the body of a fat, middle-aged white man, played by Jack Black. Um, it's just, it's so great. It's so great. Um, and that's like, that's like wonderful to, to watch, and 
a movie and, and like to thought experiment. But um, in reality, um, for Bethany to, to be in a different body, she would cease to be Bethany. Right? Um, because because here's, here's like the good news is that like you are your body. Yeah. Like this is a, like a lot of times in, in the, I guess in our kind of modern world, um, sometimes we view um, ourselves as kind of like a, um, as a spirit trapped in the body. You know, you hear these great things of like, it's, it's not what the outside that counts, it's what the inside that counts. And like, there's some truth in those things. Um, but it's actually against a Catholic anthropology to think of yourself as like a spirit trapped in this like prison of a body. Like Rene Descartes thought that, along with many other people. They call this dualism, right? Uh, even Plato was big into that. Um, this uh, this idea of like I'm in I'm in this like prison of the body and like all the ailments, uh, all the struggles in my life come from this this darn body and this darn humanity. And like if I could just break free of that, um, then I could reach the the heights of um, you know intellectual smartness or in a churchy setting like the heights of holiness. If I could just like be rid of this body, so that like that like view of the human person that view of the human person that we regard ourselves as just a spirit trapped in a body, um, when it gets into Christian circles and tones, then all of a sudden we start hearing things like in scripture that, that like falsely seem to reinforce this, like the, the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. Oh, and then you hear that because you, you've grown up in a society that thinks like um, your, your spirit trapped in a body, like, oh yeah, I guess I just gotta like hate the fact that <laughs> that I have a body that has emotions and has desires. And if I was to be really holy, I would just like not feel, I would just not desire, I would um, just, just be a stoic. It's a lie, it's a lie. Some of us need that, um, this, this, um, this new vision of what it means to be human, that you're not, um, you're not, a, you're not a spirit trapped in a body, you're, you're, you're a body soul composite. And they're so they're so joined you really can't separate them and of course the soul has this um, this primacy and should have this primacy um, but they're not even like two separate things they're not they're actually like one thing with like two principles and the soul is that principle that animates the body right so this is like this is big for us because like some of us are um, you know have been have been like eating in the lies of the culture, right? In terms of what the culture says about, um, and culture says about our sexuality or identity and like um, to kind of treat ourselves as just like bodies without souls, right? To just like go into all that, to indulge upon our desires. But some of us also hear like, um, and maybe like both at different times in our life, some of us have, have been like in the, in the realm of repression Right, and instead of this indulging in desires, it's this repression of desires, and and instead of this like perverse way of living, it becomes like a hatred for our humanity, a hatred for bodliness. Right, and the Lord is calling us to this integration. It's calling us to reverence. Right, I I love this time of year with um, you know, it never fails. One of the like. Two of the most popular like Halloween scary things are um, 
like ghosts and zombies, right? Those are like, those are like never, it never fails, like in some sections. Maybe they're more popular in different, different years, but um, like think about it, like why, why is that so? Like why, why are those like commonly scary things? It's like a ghost is, is like a spirit without a body, right? That's what a ghost is. And we are frightened by that. Um, what is a zombie? Like a zombie is a body without a spirit. Right? Animated in some weird way and wants to eat your brains. But, um, but like those things rightly terrify us because if you separate soul from body, you get death, right? You get scary things. Um, who we are, and we know this intuitively as a person, um, like we are body soul composites. So your body matters and all, and all, those, all that comes with that. Um, when Eve is brought to the picture, I love this. I love this. You know, you. You see this, um, you see this picture so much when when reflecting on, on kind of these teachings in the church. If you hear the words, you know, um, theology of the body, and that's new to you, don't don't get don't get up and out of shape. Um, I, I used those words for many years and had no clue what they meant. <laughs> you know, um, it wasn't until somebody started uh, telling me more about about kind of this teaching of what we're talking about for the next three weeks that I realized. I should probably like read a book on this or something because maybe I, maybe I don't know what I think I know, but um, but I love this picture because um, you know you see Adam right, and you see God the the, the Father portrayed artistically in that in that way, um, but like in in that little like mind of God right that's supposed to kind of like represent the mind of God looks a little like a brain. Um, there's all the like the cherubim and angels. Um, and I didn't see this for most of my life, but under his left arm, it's actually not an angel uh, or depicted angel. It's, it's actually Eve. Like Eve is there. And like in this, in this gaze between Adam and Eve, like in their mutual stare and their mutual like seeing of one another, um, like the, the father is in both of their vision, you know? Isn't that mysterious? Like, as Adam looks into Eve, he's seeing the father. As Eve looks into Adam, she's also seeing the father. Like, they're, they're seeing one another too, but it's wrapped in God. And so, like, what happens with, um, when first, the thing, when Adam sees Eve, like, he sees her, first of all, like, as existing for her own sake. Like she and Eve, Eve is not like a pacifier for the man's loneliness. That is not why she was created. Just because, oh, Adam is lonely, right? Eve is created for her own sake, willed directly by the Father. You say in the scripture, um, he uses this language, and sometimes this is, this is like taken out of context and, and jabbed. So many, so many verses in scripture. Um, you know, I, I watch and like they're read at mass and like the, the husband will like nudge his wife, right? In the middle of this, right? Um, it says like helper. Eve is meant to be the helper of the man. What does that mean? Okay. So like, was, is that like dishes and laundry that, and the, here, here it's in the Bible, da, 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 right? What if it means more than that, right? Because um, Adam doesn't just see her. And of course, this is going both ways, right? Eve sees Adam existing for his own sake too. Um, 
But Adam, as he looks at Eve, he doesn't just see Eve, he sees himself. And what I mean by that is he starts to recognize the meaning of his own life. How many of you have a reproductive system? Raise your hand, please. Right. I wasn't sure what the response would be. Because, I mean, high school, high school kids, I can get them, but it's, I, you fell for it too a little bit. Um, it's okay. A full reproductive system, no. You, none of you indiv individually have that. Um, it's only seen in light of man and woman that a full reproduction system is there, right? Okay, so that's, that's at the level of biology, right? Um, that biologically, in, in your body, and remember what I said before, it matters. Your matter matters. And the level of biologically, you have an incompleteness within you right now. That's what your body is saying. Incompleteness. Don't get, don't get scared about that. This is, this is a good thing, right? What it means, what that is communicating, the language of your body is saying that you are made for another. The language John Paul II uses is that your body has a spousal meaning. There's a spousal meaning to your body and my body, right? And the spousal meaning um, is, is destined to be fulfilled by the, the ultimate other, which is God, whether or not you get married. Or maybe it's lived out in a way in which you make a total gift to yourself as a celibate woman or man. That's a way it can be expressed on earth too. But still, the ultimate spousal meaning is found in us and God. That's, that's the meaning of your body. That's, that's one of it, one way anyway. Um, Eve is a helper. Oh, darn. I'll just start for James. Eve is a helper in so much as she helps Adam to realize the meaning of his own, his own being, right? It was not totally clear before. Like the, the, the reason why he's, he, he's created, like this, uh, in, in, in seeing each other, it makes sense. They both realize who they are. <laughs> who they are and who they're called to be. And that life, life is found um, through, this, through this gift of self. Like, what, is, what does Jesus say? Um, you seek to preserve your life, you're going to lose it. You seek to, to stay inward, um, you're going to lose it. But you lose your life, you find it. We find our life in the sincere gift of self. This is why, this is why like, Gaudiamets Best says that, remember what I said at the beginning, Christ reveals us to us. Gaudiamets Best says, Christ fully reveals man to himself and makes his supreme calling clear. This is it. This is our calling to, to live, um, to be seen, to be known, to be loved, first and foremost by the Father, right? And then out of that kind of overflow to give ourselves back to God. 
And maybe that the way we do that is, is lived out in, in marriage or, or in priesthood or, or something like that, right? Um, but all of us are called to this love. I want to play, I want to play a song for you. Um, and I just want you to take maybe like, I don't know, maybe like this is all new stuff for you. Maybe this is, this is maybe you've heard kind of stuff like this before, but um, I just want you to like, um, just like feel freedom to just enter into the song and just maybe allow it to be a moment uh, that brings you to an echo. Like I wish, I wish I could like have a video clip of Adam and Eve, like the real Adam and Eve in the beginning and like just like show you that. Um, I can't do that. Instead, what I can do is I can show you art that reveals our humanity. And as our humanity is revealed, it calls us back to that beginning. And, and maybe like, maybe there's like a mode in you that's like, um, I don't know, guarded, guarded from, from feeling, um, from feeling that maybe you've been burned recently. Um, but I just want to give you the freedom, or maybe you're thinking like marriage is not even for me. Maybe where, where I was a while ago. Um, I just want you to just enter into the song and pay attention to how your heart moves and what you feel. Um, thinking along the lines of like how this, this in some way might be a little uh, reflection of what kind of that communion was like between Adam and Eve.
what stirs in your heart as you listen to that? Maybe it just makes you happy, you like the music. Um, maybe that's hard to like, maybe that's hard to receive. Maybe like, maybe I don't know, like you, um, you're like, I want that. <laughs> I want that and I don't have that. Even in the relationship I'm in, I don't have that or, or I'm longing for that. Um, keep longing for it. Keep longing for that. Again, I'll, I'll say it like, um, it's not, it's not true. You, you, you don't just, the, the message is not like, just follow your heart wherever it leads you. Like your heart can get you in a lot of trouble. I get to for Molly, right? Um, but our desires um, are called to be purified and elevated. If we annihilate them, if we don't, if we don't pay attention, if we don't listen to them, we will miss the Lord's invitation. He's singing to us in these songs. He's singing to us. He's, he's singing to us in this because the, the type of, of communion that Adam and Eve had, that the type that what, what was just sung about, is meant to be for us the closest icon of the type of relationship that God wants to have with us. The love, the type of love, the type of spousal love between man and woman, God designed from the beginning to be the, the biggest sign, more than mountains, more than the sunset, more than, more than like mom and dad, right? To be the icon of the type of relationship God wants to have with us. And whether or not um, you are called to marriage, whether or not you are called to priesthood or religious life, you are called to that relationship. The Catechism says, Prayer is where we let our masks fall and turn our hearts to the Lord who loves us. Prayer is the place where we get naked before God and just be seen. That's, that's how this begins. Not with you doing something, not an accomplishment, not, not gaining hand in a relationship. There's nothing for you to stand on. You just be seen and be loved and be known. Lord Jesus, we give you praise. We thank you that never for a moment have you stopped seeing us, knowing us, and loving us. And I thank you that you knew us 2,000 years ago when you mounted that cross, when you gave uh, your whole life the gift of your body, a sincere gift of self, knowing us by name, knowing our, our all the, the wonderful things about us, knowing our junk, that you chose to love us while we were even while we were even sinners. Help us to believe in your love. Help us to believe in the power that comes from your cross, the power of redemption. Help us to, um, to understand how our desires can be purified and elevated and how they lead to you. 
Lord, we give you praise, and we ask, Blessed Mother, that you would intercede for us as we say, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We got some uh, small group questions, so go, go ahead and discuss. Again, there's books outside. I brought more. If you came in early, I bought some more. I carry away too many books in my car. Um, and I'll also be around for, if you want it, if you have, 